Today on the nose, a somewhat hostile but extremely short-lived takeover as I, the Diamond Boy, Sean Murray, international heartthrob, rightful heir to the Murray's Hair Pomade Fortune and the first Jamaican in the Kentucky Derby, guest host in place of our intrepid leader, Colin McEnroe, who is away on a fabulous all-expense-pay vacation to beautiful Waterbury, Connecticut, the epicenter of American culture. And as the immortal bard once said, when the Colin's away, the mice will play. Video games, that is. We're talking about the very okay animated super mario brothers movie and the immeasurably better than okay video game the legend of zelda tears of the kingdom i think it'll be a very good show if for no other reason than the fact that colin doesn't care for video games and this is our chance to stick it to him and if it isn't a good show you'll likely never hear from me ever again so it's a win-win for the audience find out how good i am at hosting someone else's show after some news gentlemen boys and girls non-binary individuals fools who rush in and fools who do your dirty work don't be alarmed you're not hearing this voice in error it is i your intrepid host colin mackerel and i've been freaky friday into the body of our beloved nose panelist sean murray who sometimes is known as the diamond boy as you know and uh who is often known as someone who owes over three thousand dollars to easy pass new york so rest assured, everything today is officially endorsed by me, Colin McEnroe. It will just be channeled through uh, the 30-year-old black man. It has been an amazing experience to be in the, the body of a, a young black man, honestly. Not as cool as I thought, though. Like, I thought it would be a little cooler. Like, pop culture kind of older sold on how cool it is to be a young black guy. Like, don't get me wrong. It's, it's nice, but I also have this odd feeling that, like, every cop is out to get me. Strange. Anyway, this week on The Nose, I've decided to do something I would never do, which is talk with reverence about video games. And joining me in this radical <laughs> shift for the program is this merry band of rebels, including Carolyn Payne, an actress, comedian, and dancer who is the founder, director, and choreographer of Kinetic Dance, Brian Slattery, an arts editor for the New Haven Independent, Pedro Soto, president and CEO of High Grade Persistent Technologies, and Wild Bill Usman, professor of media studies at Sacred Heart University. So... As many of you know, I, Colin Macaro, do not care really about video games. I have no relationship with them, and this show pretty much completely ignores them. But I've decided uh, that's no way to run a show, uh, especially not in this year, because it's a massive year for video games across mediums, actually. Later on, we'll talk about The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, which will probably be my greatest obsession for the foreseeable future. It came out last month, quickly became the fastest-selling Nintendo game ever in the United States, and many are calling it one of the greatest games ever made already. Rightfully so, I might add. But we'll get to that later. First, we're going to look at Nintendo's other super success from this year, the highest grossing movie, yes, movie, of 2023, the Super Mario Brothers movie. Where did you come from? Me and my little brother Luigi. We, we fell down this pipe, and now he's lost somewhere in the Darklands. Then it's only a matter of time until he's captured by Bowser. But you're in luck. I'm on my way to stop him. Well, take me with you. This guy's a lunatic, a psycho. He will eat you for breakfast. He won't even notice it, probably, because you're very, very small. You know what? Make fun of me all you want. But you were going to help me find my brother. Please? God help us all. Because the first thing I, I take issue with 
for this movie is they title it the Super Mario Brothers movie, which is in a blatant attempt to erase the notorious failure that is 1993's Super Mario Brothers, starring Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo, neither of whom, much like Chris Pratt, are Italian. <laughs> and, and maybe I just have a soft spot for it because it came out the year that the person whose body I'm inhabiting, Sean Murray, was born. It's, it's it's bad. It's not a good, like, undoubtedly a terrible movie, but, like, not to go the big Lebowski on this, but say what you will about that movie, but at least it had a vision. They're brothers. They're plumbers. Oh, no. Mario! They're on the trail of a kidnapped princess. You know, like, if nothing else, like, the production design of uh, that movie is, is pretty inspired. This movie I found much less so pretty like unremarkable I, and, that, and that makes sense like considering the last time Nintendo tried to make a movie out of their most marketable property it was a legendary flop so I understand kind of painting by numbers here but it came out in the same year as Across the Spider-Verse which is like very bold incredibly ambitious like truly spectacular and like Across the Spider-Verse will probably make far less money than Super Mario Brothers but will certainly set a new standard for Western animation and probably like cinema as a whole. So while none of you loved it, you all seem to tolerate the cynical cash grab that is Super Mario Brothers way more than me. So Carolyn, we'll start with you. Uh, just tell me about your relationship with Super Mario Brothers as a whole and then what you liked about it. All right. So I grew up playing Super Mario Brothers obsessively. I still have Super Nintendo and play it now with my nephews. My brother and I are not allowed to play together even as adults because we still there's still some unfinished business from <laughs> when we were 10 <laughs> and uh, those wars just are never they're never ending and those wounds are not going to heal. So you know I would say that I am a huge fan of the video game in all of its iterations from Nintendo to Game Boy to Super Nintendo to N64 so as a Super Mario fan, I was cautiously optimistic to see this movie. And mm -hmm. then my nephew saw it. And my five-year-old nephew, when I asked him, did you like it? He said, no, I loved it. No. He talks like E.T., by the way. <laughs> um, so I thought I was going to love it. And it really sadly fell short for me. I felt like it was a missed opportunity. I feel, and Sean, I bet you're going to agree, they needed like comedy writers yes. on this, right? Was there no one with a sense of humor in the room? It's it, they had this? they had like like the standard comedy like of mm -hmm. every movie that right. exists now, but like there's like there's no like real specificity to like it's, the jokes. Like so. there was two moments that I that got like an audible like laugh from me. And one of them was the antique store where you could hear and it was such a passing in the background moment there when he's like first coming to the Toad Kingdom. Mario is and they pass an antique store and you hear them saying yes it works you just have to blow into it <laughs> and I was like yes alright we're gonna go there this is gonna be it but that never it was like they got one joke and were satisfied does this thing work? yes well great you just have to blow into it so for me, it was the writing that fell short and their lack of ability to really kind of lean into some of that nostalgia and finding the humor in like a 1980s video game that we're making a movie out of in 2023. I found the um, the little the star guy who was like wanted to yeah. kill himself. Oh, lot. yeah, the depressed. I like the star. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, was, yeah. he was cool. How long you guys been in here? Time, like hope, is an illusion. Please, we are depressed enough. There's got to be a way out of here. There's no escape. 
The only hope is the sweet relief of death. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Um, Werner Herzog, star guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pedro, you're uh, an 80s baby, right? So I am. Yep. It's, uh, <laughs> so is, is it safe to assume Mario holds a special place in your, your heart? Definitely. Although, the, you know, the funny thing is growing up, I didn't have a Nintendo Entertainment System. <gasps> I was one of those weird kids that had a Sega Master System, oh. which I actually, I would say, set my life on a different course just because, it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, there is something fundamentally different. Like it was like a tribe thing. Yeah, it's like uh, Coke and Pepsi. Exactly. I was the Pepsi kid. So, <laughs> But over the years, I've since gotten it. I got a Nintendo, Super Nintendo, played every single Mario game and, and absolutely loved them. So in Mario 64, that was definitely one of those like mind-blowing moments in like the late 90s and that when I was in college. So I, you know, definitely, I mean, this is a series where the backstory isn't really anything important so it's kind of interesting to make a movie out of something where where there isn't much of a story that we're really caring about and I think that like they uh, you know I mentioned this in the email thread if they were going to do this movie in 2023 and make it CGI and do all this stuff they had this sort of very narrow path to go through to make the movie that Nintendo would have wanted to make and then make a lot of money so and I think they succeeded in that it's very safe has you know stars it almost felt like like a throwback animated movie from like the early 2000s that like kind of like that pixar you know kind of sonic boom residual where all of these people were coming up you know the movie like over the hedge and and movies that were like pretty family safe that had all-star casts that had decent production values that had you know a soundtrack that was really nice but didn't really you know you kind of stopped thinking about it afterwards so it was enjoyable in the moment and that was about it. But I think that was really all that they were looking to do and that they had to do. Yeah, safe is like the perfect yeah. perfect word for it. Like um it, it it very much felt like a corporate product. And it is, mm-hmm. but there's ways to make a corporate product that don't feel as like oh, nakedly sure. so. Yeah. Um and I think the point you made about like I was talking to McPants about this. The idea that like there is no Mario lore really. Like right. there are like signifiers <laughs> mm-hmm. and there are like details that we all know, but it's mm-hmm. really so like I think that they were able to cobble anything because uh, I was kind of arguing the opposite. I was like, well, because there's such a bare bones like framework, there's so many ways they could go with it. But I think because of that, like they don't want to get too radical. Yeah. And then, like, uh, turn off, like, the people who have, like, a nostalgic connection to it. But at the same time, it's just flat. I don't know. It's yeah. yeah, they went flat. with Ghostbusters mm-hmm. as their plot. Yeah. It was essentially the first Ghostbusters movie as mm-hmm. their plot. There is a commercial for a ill-fated, a seemingly ill-fated business. It's me, the Mario. And the Luigi. Are you tired of paying too much for plumbing? Mamma mia. That's why the Super Mario Brothers are here. Uh, to save Brooklyn. And the Queens. And your wallet. You know, they uh, have to save the city in the end. Like, it, yeah, save Brooklyn. They're, they're, right. Yeah, Better exactly. Right. It's, it is very strange. Uh... <laughs> Bill, I want you to put your professor of uh, media studies hat on for this one, which I assume is either a graduation cap or like a director's beret, but that's French. <laughs> and this movie is allegedly about an Italian family, so maybe like a, a Coppola mm-hmm. hat, like a roughneck in an Italian... French production studio, though, right? Oh, it's true. So. So, like, it's what... actually just a mushroom cap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. So what, uh, what do you say about this one, Bill? Well, you know, Colin... <laughs> uh, Thank you for acknowledging my name. 
I appreciate the whole kind of get out thing that you're doing here. <laughs> um, I'd rather be talking still about that movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This particular movie. This is not a movie I would have chosen. This was, you know, my version of, you know, basically helping Mick Pants move by by doing this. Uh, but fortunately, it was only 90 minutes and usually moving takes a lot longer than that. I mean, from a media studies perspective, you already kind of nailed it, which is it's, it's just a it's just a naked money grab. I mean, that's you asked in the email sort of why does this movie exist? And then you answered it, it exists to make money. Like that's the only reason for it. I'd love to see what Scorsese would say about mm-hmm. this particular film. But, you know, if, I, if I'm going to be generous, and I, and I do agree you have to read things for what they are, like it would be completely unfair to judge this as if it's women talking or something. <laughs> um, I could see how it would be fun for kids who play the games, but I'm neither of those things. Right. So it wasn't fun for me more than anything. So I have kids who are in their 20s now. It reminded me of when I used to take my young kids to the movies and I would doze off <laughs> and they would be like nudging me, dad, you're missing the movie. And I'd be like, no, actually, I really just want to take this, you know, $12 <laughs> nap right now. Yeah. I mean, I don't, Carolyn said this, I, there's not like a lot of creativity to it. It's, it's very much paint by numbers and it's colorful paint by numbers. But that's kind of about it. I did love little nihilistic star guy saying things like, mm-hmm. all that's left is you and the infinite void. <laughs> Best parts for me, only times I laughed during the whole thing. <laughs> I wanted to talk about, because um, you said this is probably great for kids who play the games. But it's also like, we were talking about like some of the needle drops in this were like, no sleep till, like who, who are the needle drops for? Oh no, we're gonna be late. No, we're not. Come on, let's go. Yeah, I mean, like, there is no kid under, like, even... I like that song. I love that song. But even for my generation, not only is that song, like, dated, but it's also an overused needle drop. Like, they also use that same needle drop in Guardians of the Galaxy, which came out a month later. Like, it's... I don't understand how... Like, I understand, like, they don't actually have kids making these movies, so there's a limited... (laughs) But, like, again, referencing Spider-Verse, like, they get... They on the soundtrack for both of those movies so far, they've gotten young artists that yeah. kids like and enjoy to make music for the movie rather than like reaching back into do like this ACDC and like who is that for? Oh, yeah, and I think all it, the songs were like mid eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And was that supposed to represent sort of when the games were popular at their or when they first I appeared? guess when I'm they first sure. came Maybe out. Pedro would know that. Yeah, I mean I think that's what I think that's what the attempt was. Um, But I think that also, I mean, the weird thing with video games, which is getting crazy, and I always, you know, Mario came out in like 80, 81, I think, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Super Mario came out in 80, 85 in the US, maybe 84, 83 in in Japan. I mean, this is a 40 year old (laughs) property plus, I mean, that's kind of crazy. So, you know, it's kind of weird to have this thing that's still relevant and being played and there's still games being released that had this roots. I mean, so that would be as if something was like, you know, in 1983, right? You're talking about something that came out in 1943. That's kind of like the, the breath that we, we're dealing with. So, you know, to kind of, 
so they, they were trying to play this nostalgia card of going back to the childhood and talking about it. And, and I think that's what the 80s music was. But like the whole Mario world has been sort of active that entire time. So to kind of peg the music back to the beginning of what was, you know, this epic game when really all the, you know, all the Donkey Kong Country, that was the 90s, right? Mario Kart's been, you know, there's eight eight of them or seven of them going through all those. So, like, you know, it felt a little bit weird to kind of put the music there. I, I, I think, like, absolutely, like, like as, as Colin says, having music <laughs> that was maybe relevant for today with a soundtrack probably would have played better w- with it. Well, I do or think blend. that for there is a successful way to, like, bridge that, you know, kind of 80s, to now and like finding people who were children in the Mm -hmm. 80s and 90s and now have kids and they're going to go see a movie with them like Chippendale movie that Disney came out with did that they did an amazing job where it's like you could be a fan of it at any point and it really like it it was Mm -hmm. so well done and this just was not that and Wreck-It Ralph, actually, yeah. with Disney. Yes. Ralph, that, yeah. Absolutely. Both of those. That's one of the and movies I fell asleep in. <laughs> oh, Wreck-It Ralph, Wreck Ralph is a love yeah. letter to 1980s um, video games, and it's really good. <laughs> one other thing I would say in terms of like a media studies perspective, it, it's also, it has at the beginning like a real Marvel vibe, like mm-hmm with the grandeur of the music and the apocalyptic threat, like that couldn't have just been coincidence. And then the little coda that they do after the credits, <laughs> you know, to, to hype like the next film, that's also very marvelish. Mm-hmm. So it's in some ways, it's sort of like for kids, like a gateway drug to superhero movies. And I can't <laughs> but imagine that that's sort of part of the economic strategy as well. Yeah, I mean, the 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 sort of Yoshi um, teaser teaser. Oh. I, I hate when they do teasers like that, where it's like it's like because Yoshi is a sort of core part of the story. It's not like they use it as like, oh, you you guys excited for this? Right. But it's like this is uh, oh yes, spoiler alert. That's uh, if you didn't watch the movie, <laughs> they reference that. Uh, it's probably the least essential, you know, post credit scene. Yeah, it's, ever. I, I think so, not I much hate, of a spoiler. I <laughs> hate that movies are doing that now, where it's like you sit through like they, like Marvel movies have trained us to sit mm-hmm. through the credits, which I think is good yeah. for like. I like no, it. No, I Marvel hate movies. sitting through the credits. Mm-hmm. No, Always. I I don't mind. I, I, I like, like that it. people have yeah. to sit through the credits now and see the people who made this movie. But I don't like. <laughs> no, nah, they're you, just on their phone. No, yeah. no exactly. Like no, no one's actually watching the credits. But I think at least the people who made the movie get to believe for a second <laughs> that people yeah. are. Um, but I do hate when you do sit through the credits and then the post-credit scene is just that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I'd rather like people eating shawarma or something. Yeah, but. I that was, a, it was good at the time. It was that clever. Was a good yeah. gag. Mar- you know? When Marvel does it, it's either like interesting for superhero geeks like me, or it's funny. But then, but then Marvel started doing this whole thing where it's like it's almost like an essential like part mm-hmm. of, the, of next, the next. Well, they do they do the yeah. two the, the mid credit scene yeah. advances the story, and then the post credit scenes like the little icing on the cake. So now it's even more. So yeah, how, could, right. how about you make a complete movie? Like, I'd rather just have like the mid <laughs> yeah. mid credits gag, no post credits, right. just like little mid credits, little joke, or like like you know, a lot of movies used to do like all the bloopers during the credits or whatever. Oh, that yeah. works for me, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I just hate feeling like that you're held hostage to sit through 
the credits. Like, if I go to a movie, I, I mean, Colin knows this, and this Colin maybe knows this about me too. That I I'm the same Colin. So I get such anxiety in a movie theater because I always end up having to go to the bathroom or need more popcorn or something. So by the time I get to the credits and it's like over, I just want to get out of there. Uh, <laughs> Especially now, if you had one of those big oversized Diet Cokes, you know, like. How long can I sit here? Yeah, or guy. a cocktail, which now you can get in a movie theater, which does make it more pleasant. But I, I got an iron bladder. I could, I could sit for hours. People are like, "Oh, like, why are they? Why are That's movies the so new long?" Iron. No. Um, going back to the music, though, I will say mm. I did like the orchestra, like the orchestral arrangements yes, of the of game the music. music. Yeah. I did enjoy that. That was excellent. No, right? That, that, mm-hmm. there, like, so there, there were like there were some moments that like work. Like it was a great score, uh, mm-hmm. and it, Mario's famously has some of like the best video game music or the mm-hmm. most memorable, yeah. at least iconic. And it's also like the the Peaches song. Uh, oh, Jack well, Black yeah. Right. yeah. Jack Black is the best part of this movie to me. Like that that I was agree. a period to me. Yeah. Like, to cast. Jack Black mm-hmm. as Bowser. That's the thing I probably love most about the movies. Like Jack Black is always like Jack Black is perfect for like everything. He, yes, like mm-hmm. he's he's a, in Star a, Wars. I mean, he can do anything. Yeah, he's a talented actor, <laughs> like dramatically, but he's also like damn near sixty or whatever. But he like ki- he, even for Excuse kids, he'll always be. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is he's still mm-hmm. fun for kids. I'm also sixty. I'm calling uh, Macaroni. <laughs> uh, oh, right. So. So we're we're in the same boat. Yeah, the Peaches song has kind of taken on its own life, and I love all the uh, how it's all over the internet. I just saw a video today of an eight year old boy who played it at his school wearing a Bowser like pajama onesie. Oh, it's amazing! And his whole school is singing along and swaying to Peaches. (laughs) So I, I, you know, I do celebrate that this movie. Well, it's really Jack Black's contribution to this. The Peaches song is probably the highlight. Yeah creativity here <laughs> well that's that's a good place to wrap it on uh so uh we need to take a break but uh so give us 90 seconds and we'll come back and for the first time in the history of the nose we'll cover a real live video game we'll be right back peaches 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 Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. And we're back. I am Colin McEnroe in Sean Murray's body, and this is the Colin McEnroe Show. We're uh, spending this show talking about stuff that I, Colin McEnroe, would never normally talk about. 
video games. In this segment, we're going to make history for The Nose. For the first time in uh, roughly 13 years that my show, The Nose, has been on the air, we are going to talk about an actual video game. The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. People have been falling ill after coming into contact with the gloom drifting through these caverns. Though here it seems almost misty and not concentrated enough to harm us. We do not know what waits below, so we need to be ready for anything. I know I'll be okay with you, Link. Let's go solve this mystery. Tears of the Kingdom is the second Zelda game for the Nintendo Switch and a direct sequel to 2017's Breath of the Wild. Came out last month. They say it sold 10 million copies in the first three days of release, and it's now the fastest-selling Nintendo game in the Americas ever. I'm not going to reveal how many hours I've already spent playing because um, probably reflect pretty poorly on my ability to balance priorities. Uh, suffice to say, I, I believe this is in the running for greatest video game ever made. Brian, tell me why I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, you may be right. And one of the reasons is because it's building on the legacy of the Zelda games. Um, from the very beginning, the idea behind the Zelda games was that it was supposed to feel like you're able to explore like you like it, like kids in the woods. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that it's a game that rewards you for being really curious. It's always been that way. It's like there's no you it's a it's a game that rewards you for leaving literally leaving no stone unturned. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and to try to, you know, manipulate the world around you and to like and to get into it as much as you can. And the the fun of the Zelda games has been that it is kept it has kept pace both with what's technologically possible on consoles as they've gotten, you know, better and faster. And also seemingly is that they, whoever this large team is now, they seem to be extremely creative people. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. And that's the, you know, so, so Breath of the Wild, which was a couple of years ago now, right? 2017. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, at the time it was sort of hailed as a major breakthrough, which it was, um, because Can of we, the... Not to cut you off, but like, yes. break down why it was considered a major breakthrough in this series yeah. in particular. I mean, a lot of it was because your your character had abilities to manipulate things in the world that felt very new and fresh, especially because, you know, other video games do these things. Like, there's one called Minecraft that is basically about building objects, you know, about manipulating things in the world. And that's been around forever, but Minecraft doesn't have, like, a story behind it. It's more of just, like, a play world. <laughs> play yeah. world maybe the best way to describe it. But so Zelda's thing was that it has these kind of uh, like really interesting things that you get to do in the world that are also in the service of the story, which tend to be about sort of like quests. You know, it's about finding princesses or figuring out what's wrong with this place and how to restore order and balance, those kinds of things. So Breath of the Wild, your character had this ability, had abilities to manipulate objects in the world that could be used for like problem solving, which is kind of like the deal with a lot of Zelda games. It's less about sort of like shooting things or killing things, and it's more about solving problems. So the mechanics in Breath of the Wild seemed very new and fresh, but fast forwarding now to Tears of the Kingdom, and they feel like a very like beta version of the like wild's abilities to create things in the game that then help you solve the game (laughs) and that help you like move the story forward and in a sort of like again sort of going back to the DNA of the game itself um, I think that like one of the to me as a 48 year old person (laughs) one of the things that I find really beautiful about the like the current iterations of the game is that if the first thing was about walking in the woods 
you know, this latest thing is about learning how to, like, care for the woods. It actually has this, like, to me, a pretty, like, deep and rather beautiful way of dramatizing sort of environmental catastrophe. A lot of the quests are about restoring balance to an environment. You know, something has gone wrong and it's out of balance and you need to figure out what the problem is and then fix it. And when you do, the world is restored to the to the balance that it was before. And it even sort of taps into the, the creativity. The thing that's cool about this game is that you can basically pick up any two, it's seemingly any two objects and try to combine them and you're usually rewarded by creating something that's like super useful or at the very least, it's super fun and interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this And at the most, it's super useful. And the like that is combined with the idea that you're living in a world that actually has pretty scant resources. It's it's not a game that where you get to like pile on a bunch of wealth, and it's not a game where you get to like buy your way out of your problems, as happens with some video games. And this is more a game about like doing a lot with the like with the with the ingredients that are in front of you. And if you do it well, you can literally change the world. <laughs> and that's pretty cool. No, it's it's amazing. Like one of the things about Breath of the Wild was that it seemed like the like the peak of what you could do with an open world and then but also mm-hmm. yeah. not only in with the design of the game but the ways in which the players of the game sort of broke the game and like they found new ways to manipulate things that weren't necessarily intended by the creators. And what the creators did with this game is instead of a lot of times with video games People do what they call modding uh, for mm-hmm. the audience who aren't familiar, like uh, basically like changing the game and like uh, manipulating the source code or like finding a glitch in the game and manipulating to do something that the game designers didn't intend. Oftentimes, the game designers would then find a way to stop the the players from doing that. They would uh, do what's called a patch, like update the game so you're no longer able to do that. What the creators of this game did was take sort of internalize all the stuff that they saw players do over the last few years and like expand on it and, and like, reward it, players yeah for yes doing that. so like yeah like brian was saying like there's so many creative ways to like combine objects like there's the mm-hmm. there are these creatures that um when you kill the creatures their eyeballs uh, you can collect them mm-hmm. and in the old game they were just like you could c- cook these certain objects and make potions mm-hmm. and stuff but in this game you could attach them to arrows and now they become a homing device like if you attach yeah. an eyeball to an arrow it will like lock on to a target and there's so many other like just fascinating there's like different natural objects that you can uh use to manipulate to turn weapons into something else Pedro, i wanted to ask you uh talk about um because we're mainly talking about the gameplay of this uh game uh which is just some of the best ever but Zelda actually does have a very rich and complicated storyline but this game sort of one of the cool things about this game in Breath of the Wild also is that you kind of don't have to engage with the story at all at all yeah and certainly not to enjoy the game or but you could like play for I mean I've I'm gonna tell you guys I've sunk 95 hours into this game already and <laughs> I, I'm not even 30% through the, the main plot. So like, like talk about yeah. that part of it. I mean, I think the interesting thing with with the Zelda games as they've kind of kept going on is this fact of discovering becomes really the, the majority of the game and, and the plot tends to be, you know, the thing you can kind of take on as you want to kind of move the story along at your own pace. And I, I absolutely love that. I think it's... the And the fact that they basically designed the game so that like you can spend most of your time 
building, you know, flying machines, you know, helping people, Koroks, doing things, fixing the environment. I mean, there's so many things that you can do in this game that is just... And the interesting thing is that unlike a lot of games these days where in order to advance you have to they you know they call it grinding right you're you're basically doing a repetitive task hundreds and hundreds of times so that you can get a resource to be able to like get make yourself more powerful in this game obviously there's a lot of repetition of things you have to do but it's just so much fun and enjoyable you're not just doing the same task it's just there's so many different ways of doing things and just the the tasks that you do you know, just gathering things, picking up things, collecting things, just everything is serving to be able to do so much more that it's just a lot of fun. And they they really took a lot. What's amazing is to see a game which basically at its roots is a six year, still a six-year-old game, which for technology and video games, that's like a dog's age, right? I mean, that's forever. And to take that, to advance it into a six-year-old video game system, mm-hmm. still have this thing play as, you know, it's the most advanced thing ever. Have all of this layer, all of this stuff to make this game that much better is just astounding. And, and it's really like, I, I'm you know, just just like last night I was playing and like there was like the sun was like setting and like the sky was there and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, this is amazing. I'm just in this world and it's just absolutely beautiful. It's meditative and, and you know, there's, I, I really think that Nintendo, it's interesting to see their philosophy. It's it's sort of like the, the kind of the flip side of the coin of like the Mario movie and, and sort of showing it, it, of it being a cash grab. It's like, this is a game where the amount of care and time that they've taken to make it. The fact is that also, you know, it's not an online game. It's not a persistent world or anything. This is your own world that you can create and take it on at your own time. You know, you don't have to be online to play it. If you stop, you can just press the power button and it's there waiting for you when you come back. And I just think all of that comes together just to to make just such a great experience. And yeah, I mean, I, I know I'll be playing this in four or five years still because there's just that much in there. I mean, you could you can make a cool argument that like, I mean, a lot of open world games have a central plot that sort of drives you through it, and some of them, I mean, I've I've loved a lot of the super plot heavy open world games that I've played, but there's sometimes a sense when you're playing them that it's like, you know, you have these side quests you get to do, but then it's like that it's time to get down to business and right. move the story forward, and that can be very satisfying. But one thing that's very cool about Tears of the Kingdom is the way that I think that it the plot is loose enough that it sort of allows you to be like very much like a co-author of your own mm-hmm. story there. Like you get to have as simple or as complicated, as fast or as slow a game as you want. Like you get to decide what kind of story you make for yourself. And um, I've been like watching my wife and son play it and they play it in very different ways and they are having very different experiences and in some ways they are creating very different stories for themselves about like what this game means to them and I think that that's really really powerful. That's an excellent point because something I've discussed with people that I've played this game that also play this game with me is um, that no two people have even like an inkling of the same experience playing this mm-hmm. game. Like you could play, you could literally start the game when you, in every game starts at the same place. You, the game sort of like picks up from the last game. There was like this whole, there's a, there's an evil villain. Yeah. He's back, you know, basically. And when he comes back, he, he sort of causes some sort of 
cataclysmic event that causes like a lot of the pieces of the earth to lift up into the sky and now these sky islands you wake up on a sky island you gotta basically like find your way back to earth find the titular zelda at some point and kind of figure out like how do we stop this villain and how do we like get the world back to where it's supposed to be even within the first hour of the game, you could play that first section so much differently than some so many mm-hmm. other people. And we were talking about some of the systems that they have in the game about being able to build different objects. They give you these materials, these sort of uh, like mach- um, like you can have like they give you fans and batteries and like uh, these like glider things. And I've se- I've literally seen people make a B two bomber out of like <laughs> by attaching. Uh, and this is a game like there there are no B two bombers in the mm-hmm. game. Like that's not a piece of technology that exists in this world. It's like the creativity of people and the game like not only allows it but it encourages it. I think that's one of the most like that's their, their strong suit. Like, I think Nintendo Pedro was talking mm-hmm. about how this is a six year old piece of uh, hardware and it, basically. Uh, kind of a continuation of a six-year-old game and so much in the game industry is about hardware it's about um mm-hmm. yeah, graphic buy, buy the new console to yeah, get yeah. the most sophisticated game you yeah can and, it, and it, the, it's like yeah. graphical capabilities like how photorealistic it looks most nintendo games do not look anything close to photorealistic but mm-hmm. instead of that being a flaw nintendo is a company that decided somewhere around the GameCube that they're going to not try to be compete on a hardware front but compete and create the most like essential gaming experiences where every like there are these sections in the game called shrines where basically like it's a it's a basically a puzzle room you go into this section in order to get additional um hearts which is like allow you to be stronger and whatever in the game you have to solve a puzzle and in these these shrines teach you how to play the game mm-hmm. and use systems that you're going to use to build things later on in the game yeah. as you're playing them. But it doesn't feel like a tutorial. It feels like you're figuring it out on your own. It's so it, inventive and thoughtful. It design. is. The whole construction, and I mean, I, I maybe Minecraft probably does this as well, but I don't have a lot of experience with that. But, like, to be able to, if someone's built, when you see the level of things that are built, that people are building, you're manipulating 3D objects you know, in this world, you're putting things together, you're rotating them around, you're 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 doing all this 3D space. Like, there's actually some pretty advanced stuff that people are learning. You know, so if like a kid <laughs> is learning, is able to like build this stuff together. Like, actually, that's a lot of a skill building that will be used. Like, if you go into 3D modeling, you know, I'm in I'm in manufacturing with engineering. You know, it's like looking at the stuff. I'm like, wow, like these kids are going to be have a have a have a heads up on on a lot to be able to be prepared for this digital future in constructive ways. It it also lends itself, like, so I've been, like, all I do is, so far, I haven't even played this game myself. Mm-hmm. I've just sat there with my family. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, like, super fun. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a problem, and then, like, they go, what do you think we should do? And I, I offer, like, we sit there, like, figuring it out together. Like, it's actually much more mm-hmm. social than a video game usually is for that reason. Because it's, it's fun to figure things out together, right? That's something what I wanted to talk about, too, yeah. is that... For it to be a single-player game, and as Pedro was talking about, mm-hmm. like there's not like online multiplayer or anything, but somehow it still feels like a very social game. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, Brian, like even in the sense that like the community of Zelda fans online and seeing how other people solve shrines, how people what things people are building, it's yeah. so encouraging and it, and it, it's like it's also like discouraging to be something like <laughs> I, I didn't, would never have thought to solve that shrine that way or I <laughs> I could never have like I don't have the engineering mind yeah. to mm-hmm. like build a B two like all of my 
optics that I build are so simplistic, and then I see some of the things people are capable of. Like, like I would have never done that, but then now, they, like, yeah, you're definitely learning that there are a lot of people out there who are smarter than so you are. So much smarter <laughs> than you. Yeah. But it doesn't. But the like, game rewards you at all levels. Like, you don't have to be, you know, a top elite one percenter to like be able to have a really satisfying experience yeah. and get a ton out of the game. Yeah, you can you can be as rudimentary mm-hmm. in building as I am and still have a f- super fun time because you're still being able like it's 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 masterful that you could solve a shrine in the most complex way or yeah. the most simple way and also oftentimes seeing how someone like wow that was you could have just shortcut that and just like there's yeah. this one shrine where you have to like these these tracks that you have to get to this far distance and there are um, these sort of minecart tracks and somebody just figured out you can just not travel the length of the track you can just jump from track to track and you can get to the shrine <laughs> very you know, like oh I would have never thought that. I tried to go around the entire right. loop and it's just so fun to see how people mm-hmm. approach the game and it, like you said it never feels like like oh I'm not as having as much fun as that guy it's like I'm just having a different type of fun yeah. one of the things I want to talk about before we get to the end is as I was saying before, a lot of people are calling this one of the greatest games ever created. But also, they were calling Breath, people were often calling Breath of the Wild, the, the predecessor to this game, one of the greatest games ever created. I wanted, I wanted to get both of you guys' opinion on, like, what do you think about that conversation? Not that, not that the greatest game ever made is an actual thing that can exist and also that it really matters. But I think, like, it's interesting, like, that the way that Nintendo was able to follow up, because so one of the things you, the audience needs to know about this game is that it reuses the same exact map from the previous game, and that's one of the things that people were hesitant about yeah. buying this. Like, it's amazing that this game has like become like the fastest selling game in, in Nintendo history in America because I remember a lot of yeah, the to some extent you've played it before, right? Yes, right. And a lot of the pre release yeah. chatter was that people were thinking like, "Well, this is just like, like an expansion pack." An expansion right? pack. Yeah. They were like, "Oh, this is just going to be like bonus material for the same game," and then each sort of trailer that came out and gameplay demo showed that so much more is capable of. Mm-hmm. But one of the things they did in this game was that they, so now there is, uh, it used to just be like you're on like flat land. And then now there's like, there's a sky area where there's these sky islands and mm-hmm. then there's also this area called the depths, which is underground. So they've sort of tripled the map. So you, And then even the places that existed on the same level ground right. uh, radically mm-hmm. transformed, radically transformed right. by because the... Of the because of the cataclysm, yeah. yeah. So I want to talk about like, how can you... Like, like, sort of wrapping your head around the idea, like that this is just an extension of that game, but that it's such a jump forward that it it can, like, legitimately be called one of the greatest games ever made, and it's not ridiculous. I think that the genius moment was, I think, someone woke up one day and said, you know, if I just start with this and build on this, and I've got four years to do it, what can I do? Rather than basically making a new map, making new models, you know, making everything back from zero, if I take this, what can we do with it? And and I think that the fact that, like, this game is, like, it, it's so much bigger and deeper and more complicated, and those, it's the same world, but it feels completely different because of the changes that they've made. It's kind of astounding to see just how they they managed to, to do that. And I think part of it is because they didn't have to go back to, to, to kind of ground zero on it. Yeah, I think, in, I think in other ways there's the... I mean, video games come in for a lot of criticism from people who don't play them that they... You know, that, like, there's... there's it's You know, there are books that are better, there are movies that are better. There, you know, what, what do video games really have to contribute here? You know, and for people who think that video games are an art form unto themselves... Tears of the Kingdom is a really good example of the kind of story that you can 
only tell by through a video game. Like it wouldn't mm-hmm. work as a movie. It wouldn't work as a book. It's it's a thing that needs to be experienced and a thing that needs to be played in, in the way that they've designed it so that the, the meaning of it comes through the strongest. And I mean, to to the extent that we talk about like what the best things are, I mean, as a person approaching 50, like that's what I look for in games. I want an experience that I can't have anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And this one is like most definitely giving that kind of, that, like this one is easily clearing that bar, you know, that we are seeing and doing and understanding things in ways that we couldn't otherwise if it wasn't a game. And I think that that's like, you know, it's pretty exciting. <laughs> it's know? very exciting. And yeah. it's it's actually a shame, the, the point you're making, Brian, about that this needs to be experienced as a video game because there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that by the end of the year, Nintendo will announce that they're making uh, <laughs> a, movie. A, a Legend of Zelda right. uh, movie, which... Perhaps the first segment should be their cautionary tale. Like, yeah. Maybe just make the next game. Yeah, and it's like, it's, it's definitely going to be, as a business decision, I, I can see why they would do it, but the story is so, the game is such a, like, a experiential thing that you have to play through. Like, and even Mario, to a, a large degree, is about playing it. It's like, people sure. don't love Mario because, yeah, yeah. like, the, the rich backstory of Mario. They love it because of, like, the, the functionality mm-hmm. of the gameplay, and that's what's sort of allowed Mario to have the staying power that it has but I think we gotta take one more break I wish we, I could talk about this game literally for the 95 hours yeah. that I've uh, spent <laughs> playing it yeah, but same. we're gonna take one more break and then we'll come back and do some endorsement so we'll be back after this Hi, I'm Ray Hartman. Season 3 of Where Art Thou is just around the corner. I'll be back on the road meeting incredible Connecticut artists. You'll hear their stories and we'll throw in a few surprises as well. Season 3 of Where Art Thou premieres June 9th on CPTV. For more, visit ctpublic.org WAT. Support provided by the Richard P. Garmini Fund at the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving, the State of Connecticut Office of Film, Television, and Digital Media, and Connecticut Humanities. We're back. I'm Colin McEnroe and Sean Murray's Body, and this is The Nose. Before we get to the endorsements, I just want to say some thank yous. Jonathan McNichol, thank you for casting the curse that made me and Sean switch bodies in the first place. And then, of course, thank you to me, Colin McEnroe, for finally wising up that there's an audience clamoring for video game coverage on this show. So, good job, me. And finally, thank you to this week's Nose, Carolyn Payne, Brian Slattery, Pedro Soto, and Wild Bill Usman. We'll start with you, Bill. What would you like to endorse? All right, so... I went to my first live event since before the pandemic, and I went to see a play at the Harvard Stage Company. It's called Trouble in Mind. It's a revival of a 1955 play by Alice Childress, which is sort of a play within a play. It tracks the tensions that arise when a black and white theater company is in rehearsal for a play about a horrible hate crime. And as they rehearse, imbalances of power in the theater company result in conflicts between the cast members and the directors about not just the production they're working on, but about America itself. It's a great production at the Hartford Stage Company, great performances, really well directed. And I think it's as relevant now, maybe even more so than it was in the 1950s. One little important note, it's only there until June 18th. So if you're going to go see it, you got to go see it, you know, within the next week or so. 
Thank you for that. Brian, what do you got? I have two video games to recommend for people who are looking for video games that give you experiences you can't get outside of video games. The first one is Disco Elysium. It's a role-playing game in which you wake up in a super gritty place and you have to figure out, you have to solve a crime, but at the same time you have to figure out who you are, how you got there, why everybody is so mad at you, and you have this, and those two things have this amazing way of intertwining where solving the crime is also about, like, learning who you are and possibly redefining yourself for the characters around you. Excellent game. And Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so good. And then sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum tonally is another game called The Short Hike in which you're this cute little animal that's just trying to climb a mountain. But it also has a kind of exploratory things about it. It's quite delightful. It doesn't take very long to play. And then along the way, this like the reason that you're climbing the mountain sort of gets revealed to you in this very gentle and ultimately like pretty moving way <laughs> when you realize like why it is that you decided you wanted to climb this climb this thing so yeah disco elysium and the short hike pedro what you got um there is a fantastic book on the history of kind of the video game business as it exists from the 80s on and it's called the console wars and it is by blake harris and it's a great read it's kind of like a a narrative history of the war between Sega and Nintendo. And it also has a an accompanying documentary that I think you can see on Paramount Plus, also called Console Wars. So it's it's a great read. If you grew up with this stuff, it's neat to see kind of how it all happened, you know, how the shots were fired and who ultimately wins, because there's a bit of a plot twist at the end. Awesome. Carolyn? All right. On Hulu, you can watch this amazingly hilarious and fun series called Drag Me to Dinner. And it is uh, drag queens competing to throw the most, like, extra dinner party. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) it is, it's really wonderful. And I highly recommend it. And it has great appearances by, if you're, if you are a fan of, like, RuPaul's Drag Race and follow drag culture, everyone great is on it. And it is really fun. And it'll really make you realize that your dinner party game is not drag worthy, drag party worthy. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And I would like to endorse the two winners for the first time ever of the Pulitzer Prize in Fiction from this year, Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver and Trust by Hernan Diaz. Just two just incredible books. I don't know what the competition was for this, like the shortlist, so I can't say they, they were the most deserving, but they were definitely deserving. Just two incredible books in largely different ways. Demon Copperhead is sort of a updated retelling of uh, David Copperfield set in the like Appalachian section of uh, Virginia and just like a very dense character story. And then Trust by Hernan Diaz is one of the most structurally one of the most amazing books I've ever read. It's sort of four books in one. It's a story about a titan of industry as told by a novelist who tells a story sort of based on this person's life, a memoir written by them and also their assistant, their assistant's sort of memoir. And then there's a fourth book that I don't really want to spoil too much about it, but um, it's just one of the most like to, to capture all these voices in one book as one author, but it just they all have distinct existences is just is amazing. So that's what I would like to endorse. And um, unfortunately, we are out of time. And what do you know? The Freaky Friday situation wore off just in time for me, Sean Murray, to return to my normal body. Uh, I wonder what happened while I was gone. Apparently, this has been the nose. Colin McEnroe will be back next week, and I'm sure he will stand by everything that was said 
today. Thank you again to Carolyn Payne, Brian Slattery, Pedro Soto, and Wild Bill Usman. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>